Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. My regular co-collaborator on the show, Warren Cummings, has been hosting his cinematic sausage podcast all about classic movies for the past couple of years, and the thought struck me recently that an enormous amount of the kind of films that he and I both find we enjoy aren't from the sort of time when we would have been able to see them at the cinema, so the only reason that young whippersnappers like us could possibly have come to know that such movies even existed was because they used to turn up on the telly and we would find ourselves drawn to them, whether it was on long, wet summer holiday and weekend afternoons, or in those rather special seasons that used to turn up occasionally, and usually at a time when the news was the only other choice of viewing. So our young minds would be exposed to extensive seasons of early evening Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce Sherlock Holmes films, or science fiction classics, or golden turkeys, and late night horrors, and our interests would be shaped by these alongside the afternoon weepies, comedies, or those stone-cold classics, often war films, that tended to cling doggedly to bank holiday weekends and become instant traditions in many households. Anyway, Warren is here to talk about all of these things, as we reminisce about the kinds of films we enjoy and how we first found them. I hope you enjoy what he had to say as much as I did. So let's fire up those Fab Radio International time engines and head back to a time when screens were silver, images were gloriously monochrome, and sometimes even the gowns would get a screen credit. Warren, how the heck are you? Hello, dear boy. I'm pip-pip and squeaky fashion, gravelly voice. Excellent. Gravelly voice. Yes, I know. Lubrication is what we need. We're not, we're, uh-huh. not allowed, we're not allowed to bring fizzy pop mm. into the studio, so it's kind of like... <laughs> Lubricants. Like, uh, so we just knock back the beer. Um, <laughs> anyway, no. <laughs> I'm on the gin now. <laughs> um, no, no, shouldn't mock, shouldn't mock. No, alcoholism, bad thing. Yeah, we'll cut all that. Right, so, hello, Warren. Hello, Martin. Nice to be back. It's as if I was only here a few moments ago. I know, it's astonishing, isn't it? I know. And yet the whole world has changed since we last spoke. Anyway. Apparently it is flat. It's interesting. Like, we, the theme of our show, the theme we, we, we do try generally to to roughly <laughs> roughly keep to very rough of television but i know that you over the last couple of years have been involved in talking about film a lot on your own show the late lamented sausage you never know when the physic the Fiesnik may rise from the grave. Ah, Phoenix the may rise from the grave one day. Well, yes, yes. Sausage, your sausage may rise again. <laughs> <laughs> sausage may rise again after the operation. Jolly good. So it's not completely uh, dead in the water, as it were. But you have kind of uh, stepped back a bit from doing it at the moment. But I did want to talk to you, actually, about film on television in the sense mm. that when we were growing up, you know, when we were to what's it most of our experience of new film film we hadn't seen before came through watching them on television films yeah. on television and most of the films you came to love or we came to love as you know as a nation if you like those films were films that we more likely than not first watched on television now our parents generation would have gone to the cinema and seen two or three films maybe a week yeah and those sometimes were the films that were turning up in the afternoons but I, I mean i've got a, a list of favorite films you've got a list of favorite films and i look at it now and i think how the hell did i get a list of films most of which were made before i was born <laughs> most of which are about you know stories set in times where i never lived and i didn't really know anything yeah. about and yet somehow i came to absolutely adore these particular films because i was watching them on a wet Tuesday afternoon in the summer holidays or whatever. So I just wondered if 
if television had a sort of influence on how you became interested in film. Absolutely, it did. Uh, I can remember sort of the first sort of films that they were showing. They were repeating, and I know you've done a review on this on, mm. on one of your other podcasts, but mm. um, was the Flash Gordon serial. Oh, yes. Mm. And they are mini, they, they are filmed. They are a yeah. film, really, aren't they? They're, they're filmic. They're very long films. They're the sort of films that now would get into the cinema because they're before hours long and everybody would decide that they were, you know, the best thing ever because length in films these days seems to be important <laughs> to people. Well, yeah, the epic, I mean, uh, the epic was an epic, mm. but it, it wasn't necessarily just reflecting the, the time of play. It was mm. the, the star study, the, the opulence of a production. Mm. But, yeah, I wouldn't have put the word opulence next to um, Flash, Flash Gordon. Gordon. No, no, no. <laughs> Flash Gordon is, is what it is. But, the, I mean, all yeah. those serials of the 30s, I mean, they, weirdly enough, are precursors to the serial on television. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They kind of, I mean, you actually think that even, you know, certainly the... 60s and 70s Doctor Who with its four parts and six parts and sometimes you know eight parts ten parts mm. stories would owe a lot to that kind of idea that you come back next week and watch the next exciting installment but even something like Quatermass hooray so I must get a klaxon for Quatermass <laughs> Even something like Quatermass is really the six-part serial is very much in the tradition of the twelve-part, thirteen-part film serial. Yeah. And yet, Nigel Neal would have hated me for saying <laughs> he would have come and haunted you now for the rest of your life. <laughs> but there was certainly a lot of connection between that ongoing storyline because the interesting thing about that is the roots of the soap operas, if you like. Yeah. comes from that same kind of cliffhanger, make you come back, make you come back, make you come back. I mean, I will freely admit, I mean, I know Paul's talked about Neighbours on the show before. Uh, I was never, well, no, I can't say I was never a huge fan of Neighbours. I, I managed to, to kick my Neighbours habit, shall we say, <laughs> in, in, in the early years. Yeah. But, but the thing was, it, uh, when Neighbours first started, I wasn't working. Hmm. And it was genuinely crack cocaine television. The way they finished an episode, you couldn't help but want to watch the next. <laughs> it was ludicrously addictive. However, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> crack cocaine or neighbours? <laughs> How's the habit of neighbours? No, I, uh, my name's Martin and I used to be a neighbours fan. I used yeah. to be a neighbours fan and I, I, I get that sort of think and mm. i get the draw i get mm. the draw of sat watching mm. that perilous cliffhanger because mm. as children you know we grew up watching programs with cliffhanger well we watched doctor who didn't we mm. a program which at its very core has a cliffhanger at the end of mm. the episode but that that they were just they were just um the formats are the same. Yeah. I um, think the fascinating thing about the Flash Gordon serials is when they showed them, and the, the book Rogers as well. I mean, I, did, I, didn't, mm. I don't think we got many of the sort of King of the Rocket Men and, and the Batman. Oh, we all. did get Rocket Man, yeah. Oh, I did. remember that because he had that ridiculous visor. I remember. Mm. But <laughs> we, I think even, there are two things about Flash Gordon that get me. One of which is when it was being shown on the BBC when I was a kid in the holidays, hmm. it was 40 years old, which means now it's actually younger than Alien was. <laughs> if you see what I mean. Yeah. And yet it looked primitive and very old and very silly. And yet you know, Star Wars, which was made more than 40 years ago now, doesn't quite look as silly, if you see yeah. what I mean. I don't understand why our brains you know, <laughs> perceive that differently. But the other thing is that the thing about Flash Gordon is because it was on daily in the yeah. in the school holidays, we started to see through those cliffhangers in a way that I think the thirties kids <laughs> might have never have seen. Hold yeah. on, that scene wasn't in there yesterday. <laughs> oh, they fell to their death in a chasm last week. Yeah, but do you think watching Flash Gordon, watching Book Rogers, do you think that grew your interest in some science fiction generally? Yeah, I, mean, I do, do you, actually. Do you feel it's connected? Because I know we talked about Star Trek before, but I think I remember in the same kind of era, they used to run a series of science fiction films in the evenings. Mm, on BBC uh, you know, The classic 50s. So you'd yeah. get War of the Worlds and The Incredible Shrinking Man and, and The Day the Earth Stood Still. They seem to come round. The one that never seems to be on anymore is When Worlds Collide. <laughs> oh, with the big foreheads. Mm. 
no, that was the Wednesday. No, 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 no. no, no. Not... What am I thinking of? No, that that's this planet Earth, isn't it? Uh, this island Earth. This island Earth. Yeah, yes. yeah. Metaluna. Yes, the Interocitor. <laughs> yes, and lots of people standing around going, "We are going to build a machine for three quarters of the film." For three quarters of the film. Yeah. But the other thing I always remember about, so uh, I think it was when worlds collide was. was yeah. Is just when they open the door on a new planet, and it's basically a shonky painting. <laughs> and I remember being very, very clear on that. But those films, even now, those films—I'm, you know, War of the Worlds especially—but that sort of era of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, yeah. that was the first chance we got to see those science fiction classics, and they were shown. BBC Two of a early evening on a and, Wednesday. You know, on a Wednesday they were. Yes, yeah. I remember them. I was a, and your dad's was trying to say, "Oi, oi! I want to watch the news." You go, no, it's a I film, Dad. Exactly. <laughs> well, this, this happened with Laurel and Hardy. Do you remember Laurel and Hardy mm. got better ratings mm. than than the news did because Incredible. they they were running it. Um, so you'd have a, a non BBC One the news mm. and on BBC Two Laurel and Hardy click. Mm. People want to watch Lauren Hardy. Thank you. But again, the interesting thing about Lauren Hardy is, I mean, their career was so far over by the time. And yet, and and they could have become as forgotten as any of the other early black and white comedians. And yet they, they had a, they had a hit record in the 70s. Yes. A way out west, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Lonesome Pine. Mm. Yes, I remember that. And that way, I remember seeing the video on um, Top of the Pops. Mm. But do you think something like uh, Charlie Chaplin, you know, the reference to Charlie Chaplin in Blackadder could have been made had Blackadder, you know, had those Charlie Chaplin films not been being shown on television relatively recently? Because it might have just been yeah. a completely forgotten. I mean, mm. we talk about now about Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton as do you well. Know, I was, I was going to say in the same breath, mm. we should talk about Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton. I mean, mm. they were kept alive by an American mm. firm called timeline mm. television who mm. who condensed their films down in into uh, tv programs in there of about uh, mm. 25 minutes and gave it mm. a little bit of narration so mm. they brought this new and i remember the um the harold lloyd being on quite and i i, I was fascinated by mm. the versatility mm. of this silent actor because there was the narration, and um, I used to ignore a lot of the narration because I was fascinated on how mm. they made these films. And I think I was fascinated by Keaton and Lloyd mm. um, appealing to an audience of sort of um, late 70s, early 80s. Mm. Would it appeal? Uh, even as a child, I thought, am I the only person watching this <laughs> and really appreciating this? And you found out that you weren't because I can remember going to school and we were talking mm. about Harold Lloyd and we'd mm. sing the theme music. And, mm. and you're thinking to yourself, I mean, the guy died in the early, uh, late 60s, early 70s, mm. I think it was. Mm. And here we are talking about him. Like, yeah. he's the best thing on TV. It's <laughs> crazy. It just goes to show how, how the quality of that sort of cinema, which I don't think gets seen half as much nowadays as it as it used to be. I mean, I, over the last couple of years, have picked up quite a lot of silent cinema. Yeah. And I think my interest in silent cinema comes from watching those kind of shows. You know, but uh, even the well-known silent cinema films now don't mean as much to modern audiences as as they used to. I mean, but you watch something like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Now mm. you, you might be able to go to an art house and you might see an accompanied showing of it. And, you, you know, something like Nosferatu is the same kind of thing. These, these German classic silent cinemas productions. But there's an awful lot of that era of cinema that's kind of forgotten. I mean, there are massive films like Wings, you know, Clara Bow, Clara yeah. Bow, if you like, that... Unless you're a kind of film fanatic nowadays, you might not have seen. And television, certainly when we were growing up, seemed more able to show... It was far more flexible in, mm. in, in what it was going to show. I mean, now you're not going to get that... what the people were class as specialised niche yes. uh, films. But, uh, and, 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 and I'm sad to say that um, if it wasn't for channels like um, Talking Pictures, I mean, mm. I think the idea now that modern audiences don't appreciate black and white films on TV mm. is going the same way as silent movies went mm. on TV. I think they're gradually being squeezed out. 
Mm. You do get the occasional showing of uh, some like it hot on BBC Two or something, but but the the choice now of silent of, of black and white cinema that gets shown on the mainstream channels is relatively small. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if we think about it, you know, we were talking about Laurel and Hardy, but mm. every Friday I can remember uh, watching Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. Well, I was going to say yes, because that was another of the great television discoveries for me i mean yeah rathbone and bruce had not done sherlock holmes films since 1945 <laughs> or 1946 i think it was but they'd not done one and there we were 30 years later absolutely gripped by yeah um, by was it the scarlet claw and uh, and all those kind of films that were just shown in the early evenings now and i think genuinely the basil rathbone sherlock holmes might have been all but forgotten if it hadn't been for those showings, because another generation discovered them. I think it very much was, yeah. And all this comes about by the fact that we couldn't we couldn't afford to make TV programmes. We, mm. we were very limited, so there was that market of, well, what can we buy up that's mm. cheap? Mm. And this is what would happen. They would buy your Harold Lloyd's, your Lauren Hardy's, your, mm. your Basil Rathbone's. Mm. And they would buy these things because they were cheap because, you know, people didn't think... Mm. People wanted to watch them, but it created mm. a whole new generation of people because mm. suddenly it became accessible and it became exciting because the family would sit. I can remember on a Friday, I'm getting rather passionate about the Basil Rathbone thing, always do. Mm. Is I can remember on Friday was fish and chip night. Yeah. We'd sit round with a bag of fish and chips mm. and watch Basil Rathbone and Sherlock mm. Holmes. And I thought, that's wonderful. Uh, and there's uh, about 14 of them, isn't there? So it was able yeah. they were able to make it as a television season. You could actually yes. have these these on over the course of a quarter year. And it really would get a loyal audience like yourselves with, with your chippy tea, you know. <laughs> and on the, on the flip side of the coin, then you mm. have your Saturday afternoon film on BBC mm. Two, which mm. would be, um, if I was lucky, it would be comedy. And if I was really lucky, it would be a Will Hay film. Right. Uh, now, Will, oh yes, you're a, you are a Will Hay fan. I'm a massive Will Hay yes. film fan, and I had fallen in love with watching his films through the BBC, watching them mm. on BBC Two, uh, The Boys of St Michael, uh, The Ghost of St Michael. Those those are Ilk's films. Before mm. he, I, the BBC showed a load of his films of when he was the because his stocking tray was playing this comedy buffoon yeah. school teacher. And then towards the end, he, he put together this trio of him, Moffat, and, and a gentleman's name has just popped out of my head. Mm -hmm. And and they were doing films like Where's That Fire, mm. um, Ask a Policeman. Mm. And they were absolutely... These were made in 1939. Mm. And I was enraptured. I, it, was, it became obsession because they went through a period that the BBC would show these because... I didn't know how, at that point, how um, companies... Is it More Marriott we're thinking of? More Marriott, yes. Mm. More Marriott with no teeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shut although up. He never, <laughs> although, he, <laughs> although he never actually looked like that. He was very mm. much like um, Wilfred Bramble. Yes. He, he, he was very smart and whatever, and he, yeah. he, and he wasn't in character. Mm. But, um, yeah, there was, this, there was this thing of... Um, companies couldn't afford to plug gaps, make programmes, mm. or show repeats. Mm. So they buy a load of cans of film. Mm. And some of the films would be absolutely ridiculously old. Mm. And it's a knackered a print. Yeah. <laughs> Just think about watching a knackered old film print. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? Do you think that there was a, an idea, though, that those films would appeal to children? Do you think there was a, a genuine sense of that? Or do you think that they still thought that... Because I always think that in the 70s, the nostalgia market hadn't quite kicked in yet, had it? It kind of We weren't really looking back on these glorious times. as I sat the, and watched um, Where's That Fire with my grandmother. Right. Mm. who saw it originally in the cinema. Mm. And it was really interesting because mm. we had, we we laughed all the way through it. Mm. And she said, I remember this scene and I mm. remember roaring at this in the cinema with your great aunt mm. and all this business. And then we, we chatted for about an hour afterwards about wow. this. And it was, and she said it was so strange that uh, an 11 year old would find 
something like that really mm. funny and interesting. But that's a glorious memory to have, isn't it? I mean, just uh, you, you sort of feel like there's a public service just in the <laughs> fact that they were showing them at all that that two generations or mm. you know across three generations could actually still share that stuff. I think that is a fascinating aspect of it. I do think sometimes. There is a, a lot of theories that certain films get a lot of play nowadays, yeah. or, the, or the pool of films that get shown on the main channels is much more limited. So the big classics of the seventies do get shown, you know, the Chinatown or uh, Scarface or, or whatever. But there's a lot of cinema from the seventies we don't get to see at all now. There's a lot yeah. of cinema from the sixties. Again, other channels have come along and they've sort of hoovered those up. If you haven't got access to those channels, it's it's not as easy. But the whole thing that because there were only three channels to choose from, and you would you would pick the Will Hay film to watch with the family, or or you know whichever. Yeah, it does kind of it. It was a much more bonding experience. I was going to ask you: Were there are there films? I mean, like I say, obviously, you wouldn't have become a Will Hay fan without having seen them on television, but are there other films that you think are absolutely glorious now that you know that you would never have seen? Because I don't think they would have even turned up in, in the, you know, in Blockbuster when Blockbuster existed. I mean, I know we've talked about, for example, The Blue Lamp. And I yeah. think The Blue Lamp is a phenomenal piece of cinema. Oh, yeah. I but I don't think I would, if it not constantly been shown on in afternoon showings when I was in school <laughs> holidays, I would never have known about the blue lamp at all and yet i now look back on it as, with a fondness it's almost like my nostalgia even though the nostalgia <laughs> when it was first being shown was from 30 years before well this is the thing you see i i knew roughly um well i was sort of 11 and 12 i knew what mm. an ealing film was and i right. knew they were something special mm. and i know the bbc did a season in the early 80s of again once we did the sci-fi B-movie thing, mm. we then did a season of... Ealing comedies. Mm. Ealing films. Yeah, and and they started off as being the classic comedies. Mm. Your passport to Pimlico. Our passport to Pimlico was a mm. revelation. Mm. That was so wonderful. Mm. Um, Lady Killers. Lady Killers mm. is my favourite, and that mm. one was discovered on TV. But mm. to watch something like... As I saw, it was quite revolutionary. Mm. Of people rising up and going, "No, in passport for Pimlico. No, this mm. is this is our land." And I'm like mm. thinking, "Well, this is really different. This is, but this is black and white. Mm. Why am I being told, you know, black and white's rubbish? This isn't. Mm. This is really, really good stuff." Uh, and but a film like Kind Hearts and Coronets, which is oh. an absolute gold standard classic, yeah. Uh, and weirdly enough, got referenced in shows like The Avengers, shows like The Persuaders. <laughs> yeah. And you got the joke because you'd seen the film. Yeah. And it wasn't just, you know, some hack writer thinking, oh, nobody will remember this. I'll, I'll nick it. <laughs> you know, it was actually, it was part of, by that stage, it had become part of the furniture, part of the culture, those kind of films. So you could actually riff on them. But they were familiar enough to even the modern audiences to actually make that sort of reference relevant if you like we also had we also had the joy of having a program called looks familiar ah on okay. itv with dennis morden who used to wheel in either mm. aged film stars mm. or musical retired mm. musical people mm. that initially as i was growing up that was on quite regularly on the afternoons mm. but parky was always rolling out the old hollywood greats wasn't he and yeah and, and, and half the time you're thinking and they, they were talking about these films that you're thinking what never heard of that you know mm. but, uh, and you watch these programs you think who are mm. these old duffers on here mm. and then then you as you sort of got slightly older you thought start to appreciate who these mm. people are and the legacy that they brought mm. and then all of a sudden the following day or the following week you'd see one of their films mm. on tv and you'd be mm. like wow and you'd mm. sit down and you'd really you know i've heard about that he's mm. he's talked or she's talked about doing that i remember being in a uh, an office uh, must be 20 years ago now and having a chat about a cary grant film with my colleague who we'd, we'd both watched his cary grant film and this girl turned around and went oh and I just, I just suddenly thought that that was the day I started to feel old. I just thought, oh god. And now I thought, you know, it's it's like when people go on pointless and they say oh, it was before my time. And say, look, all the films were before my time. I still saw them. Exactly. This is this is the thing. People go, oh, well, I've never heard of them. But mm. what do you watch? Well, streaming mm. is streaming ruins things. Oh, I don't mm. like to go and look at classic stuff because mm. it's not in colour. Well, and I think this is horrible, a... horrible penchants and. Um, 
The BBC did it once. Um, they showed a colourised film. Mm. And I think they did it once, and I think yeah. the complaints were so bad that they decided they weren't going to show any more colourised. Well, we talk about movies. choice, don't we? I mean, that's the thing. And you're getting, you know, the streaming gives us more choice, but it only gives you the choice of what you see, and you you go and look, and you think, oh, I don't fancy that, I don't fancy that. I think about when it was just broadcast at you. <laughs> yeah, you didn't really have much choice, and and if you wanted to watch anything, you'd, so what's this film? What's that film? Yeah, I mean, I remember my mum being absolutely obsessed with Gone with the Wind and I think that Gone with the Wind had was so long it had to be shown over two nights oh that's you a know. Christmas staple as well wasn't yeah. it yeah but it yeah. well again the, the the Christmas movie or the bank holiday movie is possibly something we should move on to because mm. there are films that became shall we say national treasures <laughs> purely by Only continual they, repetition they, they, they kept yeah because they kept the tv companies kept buying them mm. because they were cheap for mm. the re- re- repeat rights mm. So, I mean, the fact that we used to joke about, was it The Great Escape Great always escape. being on And then on when it didn't holiday. appear, people complained. Yeah, because they it become part of their bank holiday tradition in the same way that, <laughs> you know, um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you oh, know, is always you on. know, I, I always fell asleep during The Sound of Music. Right. I used to wake up at the end. Wizard of Oz, I did that as well. Mm. Uh, my mother's never seen The Wizard of Oz because it always right. used to be on in the afternoon after Christmas mm. lunch. And my, my mother to this day has never seen no. the whole of The Wizard of Oz because she fell. She always falls asleep halfway through it. I said, you haven't missed much. Films <laughs> to doze off to. Yes, OK. But I still think there's this fascinating thing that I... I one of my favourite films, uh, I know we've talked about when we did a chat on your show, is Hell Drivers. Yeah. And I think Hell Drivers is such an obscure <laughs> idea for a film. And yet, for some reason, it used to roll around and be on television, and I'd just go, oh, Hell Drivers on, I'm going to watch that. And it's just a brilliant British film from the 1950s. And again, the cast is basically, if, if oh, you have any cast, interest in, in television in the in the 60s, <laughs> basically, the cast of Hell Drivers is just you know, to die for. It is astonishing. Yeah. I mean, literally, I, I, well, I almost... I always it's A-list is to be, isn't it, yeah. really? It's, it's yeah, the creme de la creme of the actors. Well, it's it certainly, it's, it's, shall we say, anybody who was anybody in high-profile TV series yeah. in the following decade, or film series as well, because we do get a James Bond in there, are going to be on there. And I always think, if I'd never seen that film when I was, I must have been 10, 12, it must have been on, on a on a, let's say, a wet Easter holiday afternoon or whenever. I I don't think I would have come to it by any other route. It's just that it was there on the telly. And another one of my favourites, my absolute favourites, is A Night to Remember. Oh, yes. The Titanic uh, oh, film, absolutely. made in 1958. Yes. And I remember just sitting there and being mesmerised. I mean, I you know, over the years, I ended up buying sort of half a dozen books and things about the Titanic. Became quite interested in it as a subject, but that was the film that did that yeah. for me. Seeing I'm that film, so and... glad I'm not the only one that peaked that piqued my interest. Yeah, but it also that's the thing as a film. It I even think if when I first saw it, it I might not have even known the story at all. It might have just, I might not have even seen the beginning of the film. I might have spent another two years trying to work out what was that film I saw about the sinking ship. <laughs> you know, but it's an astonishing piece of cinema that, mm. that was just there, presented to us in the afternoon, and you just were mesmerised by it. And the, the acting in it, the performance, the production, just a phenomenal piece of cinema. Well, Kenneth, Kenneth Moore, was one mm. of my favourite early actors. Right. My first war film. Now it's gone straight out of my head. Mm. Um, Douglas Bader film. Reach for the Sky. Reach for the Sky mm. was my first war film that I ever saw. Mm. And then I, I was, I think I must have been about nine. Mm. And I remember going to the librarian, the school, because that, that was on a weekend. And I remember yes. going a Monday morning to the library at school. And I said, oh, well, um, have you got any books on Douglas Bader? <laughs> Mm. <laughs> Someone right. looked at me, and I went, mm. "No, no." So I had to go to my life, and I, I started reading about Douglas Bader, and right, and I found things like that 
intensely interesting. Mm. But I, I, I particularly liked Kenneth Moore, though. He had a sort of... I felt safe watching Kenneth Moore. You knew something good mm. was going to come out of that film. Mm. And then, yeah... Well, that lip wasn't moving, was it? That no, it was, wasn't. Yeah, it was very mm. stiff and upper. A fixed point in a changing universe. <laughs> and, of course, he was still appearing... He was appearing on television. Um, Father Brown, wasn't it? Father Brown, stage. wasn't he? Mm, yeah. And that was doing rather well, but um, and that was on late in the mm. evening I think it was so I didn't get to see that mm. uh, but I was aware of who he was and this was mm. the thing the greats who were doing films were doing mm. television now in the mm. latter part of their I mean Lionel Jeffries is the other chap mm. I mean he he did television till mm. sort of um, the mid 70s and then mm. had a hiatus till sort of the early 80s and he came mm. back to television but well, yeah. little Johnny Mills as well. Little Johnny Mills, you yeah. know, from all those films like, um, <laughs> you know, in which we serve things like that. Yeah. yeah, and and yet there there he was still doing the Zugang, <laughs> <laughs> Quatermass, of course. Do you know I've never seen the Zugang? I've never seen the Zugang. Mm. I, it's got a distinct title. I remember as a child hearing the, the title mm. music. Um, mm. But yeah, that'd be a bit of McCartney, wasn't it? And that's right. That's it. And but but films were a big thing, and I, mm. and I know as we move on to particular Christmas schedules, I know mm. you have a Christmas favourite film, don't you, mm. of the James Bond ilk. Well, again, the Bond films specifically are an interesting sort of subset of that because the first time a James Bond film made it to ITV was in 1974. Oh. And then they basically uh, showed a new one every six months or so. And I was 10 when that happened. And I suspect we were the perfect generation and the perfect age <laughs> to become absolutely obsessed with the Bond films yeah. over that period. But yeah, weirdly enough, I do adore... Um, well, I say weirdly, I don't know, maybe it's not weird at all, but I think my two favourites are From Russia With Love. From Russia With Love because it just, it doesn't, it's not quite fantastical yet. It's gritty, isn't it? And it's, it's a proper, it? It's, it feels like a Hitchcock film. It feels like a yeah, proper it's shot gritty, like a Hitchcock yeah. film, yeah. And, and, it, and you feel people die in that. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have comedy deaths in a lot of, mm. a, a lot of Bond, but you feel mm. people are actually feeling the pain in the dark. But, I mean, in, that would have been about the time also I'd started going to the cinema and I would have seen The Spy Who Loved Me in the cinema and all that kind of thing. But actually, being able to see those Sean... The, the Sean Connery six films are actually, to me, still the best of it. I mean, don't get me yeah. wrong. But From Russia With Love is by far my favourite of those films. However, if you were to ask me to pick my favourite Bond film overall, for years... It would have been, and probably still is, let's be honest, uh, on Her Majesty's. I just think on Her Majesty's was so good as a piece of cinema. Yeah. I just, I, and it just, I think that's what made me quote a fan. I'm not as big a fan of the Bond films now as I used to be. I, 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 very I feel very I find them less watchable than I used to, and they're also a lot more problematical to my mind now hmm. than they were. At the time, I was, you know, as I say, fourteen-year-old watching them. It, there are certain things in them now that I feel less comfortable with when I watch them. But Honor Majesty's, I just think it's a, it's a, just a glorious film. And I, and I know people don't like George Lazenby, and I know there are hundred and one reasons why people don't pick it as their favourite. And I know it didn't do particularly well at the box office. But I saw that film first on television, and I, I genuinely believe it's the film I've probably most seen in my life. That was my first Bond. My mm. first Bond, and I'd heard bits and pieces about mm. how it was made and how there were tensions with the cast, mm. and I was just fascinated to see this film. And I can mm. remember sitting up and watching this film, and I went, "Okay, right." And then I watched. Then they were showing them out of sequence, like they usually do. Mm. And they showed a, a, a Connery, and then mm. they showed a Moore. Mm. It was all out of context mm. and everything. And I went. I actually prefer Lazenby, mm. and I, I, not because of the acting. I, I I love Her Majesty's because it is radically different. I can mm. see the similarities between the Connery and the mm. uh, and the Moore format mm. of that uh, of that um, of the Bond, but to change it so radically, and I think this is what frightened a lot of people at the time was is the fact that he became human. He didn't become a killing machine. Yeah, I think it's interesting though because I think that that 
again, as, as an old Doctor Who fan who's interested in facts and figures of filmmaking, the James Bond series had the same kind of obsessive, you could find stuff out and you could spot actors. Yeah. I remember specifically spotting Charles Gray in yes. You Only Live Twice and then seeing him again in as Diamonds. Film, and, yes. Yeah. And <laughs> I just remember, that's the same actor. And I remember that was a revelation. <laughs> that can happen, but they're not playing. He's dead. <laughs> because when you're 40 or 12, you're absolutely emphatic that this makes sense. This has to all make sense. And it's all <laughs> the wonderful thing. But I just think that that cinema franchise particularly is the one that most benefited from them turning up on television. Very much so. And it, as you say, it was the staple Christmas or it was the staple bank holiday. Mm. Uh, they've been done to death now because you've mm. got so many channels that sort of seems to show them on a yeah. continuous loop. It's very much like that other staple that um, I oh, the carry off with. The carry-on. Mm. Um, carry-on was always a rite of passage film as you were growing up, going into puberty. I think the carry-on films, I struggle with the later carry-ons, I do. Yeah. I find the black and white ones glorious. I, the sort of seven or eight black and white early. I think they're just glorious examples of British comedy. I mean, they, yeah, they have absolutely. their moments which are a bit, ooh-ooh, now, you know, I get that. <laughs> but actually, as a run of sort of seven or eight black and white films, those are exceptional, even now. They look they look good. They tell of a time. There's that whole Lost World thing, which I'm always very fond of. But certainly the cross I mean, because quite a few of them are contemporary, so at your... Con- convenience and constable and nurse you know they they feel they're telling you about that era yeah you know you, you feel that this is what this is what life actually fit you know obviously a comedic sort of take on it but you feel that this is this feels like it belongs in the now of the time the later one I, I, there are some exceptionally good i think uh, screaming is good uh i think the um oh what's it called the the, the color oh god the color one doesn't help you does it <laughs> at the kyber Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I should have no, put carry on. I should have put carry on at the beginning of that rather than just saying up your caliber. It <laughs> <laughs> is just the way I'm sitting at the moment. But thank you. <laughs> but this is this was the thing because that was a bank holiday staple mm. was to have a carry on film, and now they mm. again they're on a constant loop, so it lost that kind of specialness. Well, I love I love spying as well. Spying is is interesting because spying basically riffs on Doctor No and from Russia yes. with Love, and yet somehow has some jokes in it that they actually use in the Roger Moore films, which I just... I love that sort of interconnectedness thing going on. But also, I think, again, when it comes to cinema on the telly, on the actual telly, that thing that people would gather around and have that nostalgia. Like you say, Grandma had seen it in the cinema first time around, so you someone like... But like Bob Monkhouse would be in Carry On Sergeant. Yeah. And then you'd see Bob Monkhouse doing the Golden Shark. Those sort of all the interconnectedness and the fact that the whole family just sat down and watched it together and, you know, would laugh together. And I think there's an important aspect of those films in our culture. I can remember vividly, for example, my dad, obviously my dad was in the Second World War. He wasn't at D-Day, but I remember him sitting down one afternoon with a, you know, bottle of wine and watching The Longest Day. (laughs) There always seemed to be a war. For, I don't know what, what again this this gratification of, of you know this this making war films part of the culture. I think it's in, in possibly in later years has made more problems now. Yeah, we because yeah. so many people still harp on about the bloody Second World War as if it's you know it's like something great and wonderful. And of course it wasn't. It was a bloody awful time. But at that time, this idea of Britishness seems to come out of those movies so we get this idea of the great escape being on every bank holiday we get this this idea of the or, or little johnny mills in a submarine or little johnny mills in a battleship or little johnny mills in a tank or little jo- well, let's say, little johnny <laughs> mills who saved the entire yeah um, but it's kind of like that idea of britishness came from those films being on i'll tell you one of the films that gave me a stark realism of hmm. 50s war films was mm. Cruel Sea. Cruel Sea. That is a great film, yeah. And I watched that in an afternoon. Yeah, it's an afternoon yep. movie, that. Yeah, That is an afternoon movie. I'm oh. a great Hawkins fan. Mm. And I thought, you know, I've not seen Cruel Sea. This is, a, you know, you're a teenager going, Cruel Sea, what's mm. all the hype about? What's all the hype about? Mm. And you're thinking, oh, is it, it's... And it's not how... The first time you come to watching it on television mm. and... You're thinking, okay, right, we'll go with this. We'll see where it takes us. 
and mm. before you know it, you are sucked into the screen. It, mm. It's it's mesmeric in watching mm. that film because mm. it's not all about gunships and um, huge great air attacks. Mm. It's it's a human story. Yes, and it tells about the rigors of war and it tells about the guilt mm. and the emotions. And I, that was the first time I felt a gut-reddening emotion watching a mm. film on the television mm. was when he kills the soldiers. Mm. In the water. As a sailor, yeah. sorry, in the, yeah. in the, in the in water. Because yeah. mm. he had no choice. Mm. And that's the first time that television became very memorable to me. Mm. And it, I was aware that it hit an emotion that television hadn't hit me before. Mm. was watching this film. Uh, and it still gives me that lump in the throat now when yeah. I think about that. But at that age, you wouldn't have been staying up for play for today or anything like that, would no, you? So, no. so you, but so the films sort of would have been the way of sort of exposing you to those sort of ex- emotional reactions, really. Because I suspect sometimes they they were put on and no one actually bothered to check what the content was like because we were <laughs> our, our, our our small brains were absorbing all this stuff, and some of it actually is now is quite strong strong stuff well you you say that the first um and i, I know you're a liker of horror films and mm. i remember being uh, i think i was 10 mm. and they showed the omen for the first time right and i was at my friend's house and it was on a late and they were allowing them to sit up and watch it as well and right. i'd never seen a horror film mm. Well, it was funny, actually. I was going to talk to you about late night horror, but we'll, we'll move on to late nights. But yes, yes. tell me about your experience uh, of the... Oh, talk about emotions. My next one, though, is absolute fear and dread. I mm. actually uh, ran home. Mm. Well, the, the weird thing about The Omen, I, I remember, I think the first time I actually watched it, I was a student. And you had to go up to the the TV room, you know, uh, oh, across yeah. the campus, you know, and people had gathered. They were all going to sit and watch The Omen. So we all watched The Omen. And, ah, ah, ah. and it was an absolute, the night was a dreadful, stormy night. <laughs> oh, no. So I actually had to walk across the campus <laughs> with the rain flatting down. And, of course, it, what happens to Patrick Trout? Pat Trout, you're thinking you're looking at every looking at me, he's going to throw a pole at me. <laughs> Oh, it was it was um, David Warner's stuff, head. It? it was David Warner's head that finally ah, okay. sent me into a gibbering wreck, and I grabbed my coat and ran mm. home. Wow. My parents were furious that I was allowed to watch a horror film. Right, but it's yeah. interesting because I, I knew people who I mean in later years would sit there with with their kids on the armchair and watch it, and I know. not bat an eyelid. You know? and, and I spoke. I, I actually spoke to David Warner about it, mm. and um, he he used to laugh. He used he used to love. He said, "I get told about that so many times." He goes, mm. "But yeah, again, a television thing. We're all mm. sat round, and it's all sort of all spooky, and oh god, mm. he's have his head chopped off by sheet glass. Mm. <laughs> Strange the things we've you've never had watch. your windows done since. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to look out of them. <laughs> it is, it is so fascinating because I was going to move on to the late night film." Yeah, the late night film was a kind of different experience because quite often, obviously, when you were very young, you know, the afternoon films were often relatively tame and arsenic and old lace and, and all that kind of thing, <laughs> or airport, the you know, or would suddenly turn airport up these Arthur Haley massive films would sort of turn up in the afternoons and you'd watch them and sometimes with quite grown up things, you know, Peyton Place and things like that, quite oh. grown up themes. But actually, the late night film became i think you were a bit older weren't you you were going yeah. out to the pub or whatever well, you'd come home from the pub i wasn't do you know i wasn't and, it was when i first got my black and white telly in my oh, room right. yes uh, i must have been 13 yes when i was watching yeah, the late and, night and you were horrors. supposed to have gone to sleep but you, yes you would yeah. yeah those i mean those saturday night horror double bills uh again i mean quite often in the first instance they were showing those old universal 30s Frankenstein oh, I, and Dracula. I love them. That was but so, also yeah. afterwards, you would get the hammer. That, the I mean, hammers. one of my vivid memories is the fall of the House of Usher. You know, and the oh, scratching the cor- on the, the, the coffin lid. Films, yeah, mm. Mm. and all that kind of thing. Uh, do you know? I I I was fascinated by the Usher and um, mm. the Crow and the Raven. Sorry, because I, mm. I then, of course. You're introduced to some of the the greats of horror. You're introduced to Vincent mm. Price. I mean, mm. this tall, even on my small screen, this tall, mm. 
dominating presence of Vincent Price mm. with that voice, mm. and that unique voice, and mm. just looming out of the television screen. And mm. I, I used to, mum would tell me on the on the telly used to be towards the end of the bed, and I just used to sit and be caught in this glow, this black and white telly, and it didn't dull the fact that things were in no. black and white. Mm. And it was just the horror was like all oh, the lights were off and the sound was down low, and there was something atmospheric about that. Yeah, I mean, you can do that now as a grown up. I think you're a bit weird, but <laughs> but it's there was something about that. It was horror on TV is is suddenly it's in the room with you. I yes. never found that about horror in the cinema because you. Mm. Just look around and go on a yeah. huge auditorium. But Big shared experience. This, and, yeah, yeah, you're in that mm. safe environment in your own mm. home and you're in the sitting room and there's a creak or there's a yes. noise outside. And that was always the thing as a child, that it was a show of a good film. If there was a noise in the house somewhere, it made you jump because you knew this film had got you. And, and television films, you had to be careful. I think it's weird censorship on films mm. well that's quite true we often weren't even seeing the full and expurgated versions yeah. <laughs> but uh, i think the interesting thing about that is i i was much older than that and i remember having watched in the afternoon i watched the shining oh and it still word. freaked me out i, I went when i was when i went to bed that night i was still completely freaked out that, hours later by the shining that film i came to the shining late on i think i must mm. have come to the shining at about 18 or 19 mm. and i did not sleep no that because yeah. it messed no, that was with the thing. Brain, i could it? not i could not get to sleep that night i was i even yeah. had to leave a light on that's you know and you think i'm you know i was i would have been in my 20s uh, I think it was probably shown on Channel 4, you know, and and I thought, oh, I'll watch the show. I'll record it and I'll watch it in the daytime. <laughs> and it still freaked me out. And <laughs> and so it does show the power, like you say, of it just being there in the room with you. I'll tell you another film that disturbed me in much the same way, and I did catch that late at night. I watched it again more recently. Ten Rillington Place. Ten Rillington Place really messed with my mind watching I... it. Late night, black and white telly in my room, like you say, same kind mm. of thing. And I just remember once the film finished, I was thinking about it so much. And I, I'm really disturbed by the fact that it was a, a real world story, I suppose. Yeah. I, I, it, I, it messed with my mind, that did. Yeah. And it's recent history, isn't it? Really, to a well, certain extent. I um, didn't come to that. I watched it on the TV. Mm. I didn't come to that till I was 35. Right. And I was deeply disturbed by that. Mm. It just left an uncomfortable feeling mm. because the performance. And I don't think it diminishes. As you, mm. you're talking about, unlike myself, talking about watching something on a small screen, I do not think mm. it diminishes a performance. Mm. Well, again, you look at Attenborough, I mean, you know, because I mean, I'd seen Brighton Rock by that stage, you know. Oh, I'd seen all those, you know, I'd seen those other films. I think he's in, is he in League of Gentlemen? I think he is. Yeah, you know, I'd even part, seen him. He's not much, much. Well, yeah. he's one of the gang, but he's not. Yeah. quite. I'd even seen him running like a rabbit from uh, in which we serve. You know? <laughs> <laughs> one man did not stay at his post. You know him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, in which we serve. Brilliant film. It's like I mean, Dunkirk. I know, I know, Dunkirk's a I know people, film as well. Yeah, I know people mock Noel Coward in that film, but actually. You know, he it, it's a, an astonishing piece of storytelling when, like, the moments that break your heart when, like, when the, the sailor goes home and his house has been bombed and all his yeah. family have been bombed. All those moments in it are just phenomenal. It's a phenomenal piece of cinema. But yeah, we put Richard Attenborough, you know, it's just wow, just, just astonishing in Everlington Place and terrifying. And he, so quietly terrifying as well. In fact, I think that was, an, and it's, I think that was a Channel 4. I think that was a Channel mm. 4 in the evening, I think. But I remember, and you mentioned Channel 4 earlier, Channel 4 opened mm. a lot of floodgates to a lot of... Well, I was going to say, forgotten. do you remember their series of this sort of forgotten Z-list classics like Plan 9 and Robot yes. Monster? Do you remember those? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Robot Monster, yes. Man in the now, those were films you and I would bomb. never have seen. No. We? we would never have no. seen those at all. I mean, they were so obscure. <laughs> I mean, and... in the end, I mean... What's his name? Ed Wood. I mean, they made a oh. cinema film about that. And you think it can only have been from those late night showings yeah. on, in this country, but also yeah. presumably in America, you know, th to make his name well known enough for them to actually make a, <laughs> an A-list. 
cinema feature about it. And of course, Martin Landau gets an Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. I just don't understand, John. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, where's my Oscar? <laughs> where's my Oscar? Yes, where's mine? But we have a wonderful penchant in this country of being able to escape into this little box in the corner. Mm. I think more than anywhere else, to be mm. honest with you. And it's a safe escapism to a certain extent, but it, it, it generates our desire to want to be part mm. of something. And film can lose, with the white scape that we use now, you can lose a lot on, on the screen. Mm. But I don't think the films that we watched as kids, we lost, mm. we filled in blanks. Because it's interesting now if you get a widescreen version of a film, or take, for example, the mm. Doctor Who films. Mm. Uh, I know we come back to them as I said, or, or something like Zulu, something mm. like that. Something like Zulu was amazing the mm. first time I saw it. And now I get blown away because you've got a widescreen mm. version and it's HD mm. and it's jumping out the screen at you. I, well, Kane is another one of those actors. And I mean, you think about a film Chris, like Get Carter, oh, okay, but a, fi- a film. A film like The Italian Job, which has become, again, another cornerstone of bank holidays. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, nowadays you look at The Italian Job in the first hour and you think, oh, that's a bit dodgy. But, you know, actually, you know, for people who love it, they love it and that's fine. And um, But, uh, yeah, there's just these... I don't think I'd ever have seen Get Carter if it hadn't sort of turned up on the box one no, time. I, and I, you I, just happened yeah. to be watching it. I, see, I have a fit... Not a fear, but I have a... I worry about 70s films, and when they go, mm. oh, it's a British 70s gangster film, you think mm. to yourself, really? Oh, oh, I'm not not sure about that. It's all going to be mm. flares, sideburns, mm. and really bad ah. dialogue. And it's Although nice. I did, I did, I was listening to a, a compilation the other day, and the theme from The Long Good Friday came on. I got, that's a oh, cracking piece of music. That's a cracker. <laughs> that's an absolute cracker. Again, that's a TV, that's another TV film, but that's a late night TV film. Mm. And it wasn't till recently that I'd only, uh, I think it must have been in the last 10 years, mm. that I saw the unedited version. Right. Um, if you, I assume, like many of the people we talk to on this show, you've got a house full of shiny discs of some kind Might have old, a couple. old old videotapes from the dawn of time well, if you look along that shelf or along those that, <laughs> I don't know, that library or whatever you want to however many you've got would you say that most of those films were films you first saw on television or would they be would you still be saying no i think the ones i first saw in the cinema i would go 95 percent of them i saw on tv right things like i mean i'm drawn to it now Dirty mm. Harry films. Yes. Well, Eastwood, again, is another... Yeah. It's, it's funny that... The, Fistful um, of Dollars. Yes, the Dollars trilogy is, oh. is one of those... I mean, my sister was a big fan of westerns, mm-hmm. and I remember sitting and watching The Good, The Bad and The Ugly with her and sort of, you know, absolutely blown. I mean, it still remains one of my favourite films, ironically. So, um, so yeah, it, but, yeah, the Dirty Harry films as well, yeah. Yeah, I, I get I, that. I never went with westerns, but I went with the Dirty Harrow. I went mm. with the Eastwood ones. Mm. Things like, you know, classic war films I look at, like 633 mm. Squadron, all mm. on the TV, you know, Operation, mm. gosh, the V1 bombs. Oh, Petticoat. Um, no, not Petticoat. No, it'll come to me at some point. Okay. At three in the morning and I'll call you. Well, it's just, again, it's interesting because uh, recently I watched that Operation Mincemeat film. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, of course, that's, that's based on The Man Who Never Was. Yes, uh, or at least it's the yeah. same story as the man who never lost. And, and uh, to be honest, we'd watched the man who never was, and then up popped this new version. And actually, on the whole, I think I preferred the original, which possibly just shows my age, but I don't know. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? We watched a lot mm. on TV, mm. and so when you come to make remakes, mm. do we appreciate them more? I think it's interesting that the remake now it seems to be that we can't get people to watch these old films, so we'll just make a new version of it and yeah. we'll make it slicker. And but actually, quite often, it to someone who's grown up with I don't know, Psycho or whatever, you know, the, the Hitchcock films particularly. I mean, oh. luckily, most of the Hitchcock films have not been remade. And again, finding and discovering Hitchcock through television for me is is one of the delights of my life. But to actually, I mean, when they did make that Psycho remake, it's, oh dear me, and that was supposed to be a shot-for-shot shot remake. Yeah. Just, was it Gus Van Sant, wasn't it, who did that? And it's uh, it's just not as good a film, and there's no real reason 
why it isn't as good a film. You know, I mean, it's got good actors in it. It's like, say it's shot for shot remake. It's the same story. So it shouldn't, but it just doesn't work in the same way. And I think that's fascinating. But I just sometimes think now that there's so many great films out there that people aren't watching. And it's possible because we're not being exposed to them through television in the same way we were. And again, this whole thing of having so much choice that you can pick and choose. Sometimes you end up picking and choosing the same old things rather than actually yeah. being presented with something surprising and i think that's the beauty of cinema through television when we were growing up it often surprised you and sort of sucked you in and made you know, lifelong fans out of the likes of us really <laughs> i think we're sort of vindicated by channels such as talking pictures mm. whereas if you can cut through some of the <laughs> weak and chaff shall we say mm. that is shown mm. to some of the greats that are just hidden away Mm. And they're shown as just a matter of fact, mm. any day, 2 p.m. film, oh, mm. we'll, we'll throw on the blue lamp or mm. or the long arm of the law, which is another mm. cracking film, mm. which I found, oh, I found on TV or Dunkirk mm. or something. It's interesting. You, I mean, I've got Dunkirk. Mm. Uh, I never went to the cinema to see the, the recent one. I've got the DVD, so I watched DVD. Mm. But I saw the original Dunkirk on the TV, and I still prefer that. So. Mm. Well, I, again, I, I only last year, because I happened to be in an area which had talking pictures as an option, I, I got absolutely sucked into a film I'd never actually seen at that point, which is Hell is a City. And I just oh, thought yeah. it was amazing. Amazing piece of cinema, you know. And you just think that even now, you know, tired old hands like us can still discover new and brilliant films from a, oh, from an era before we were really supposed to be watching them. <laughs> yes, it is beautiful. It's it's beautiful, and to discover new actors mm. and new directors is mm. just a joy. Mm. Yeah, the stories are recycled mm. naturally through mm. television and and. and film mm. through the natural cycle mm. of things but you mentioned about earlier at the beginning you mentioned silent movies mm. there is a certain pastiche there's a certain draw to something that is can be basic mm. storytelling mm. that is so simple but yet so mm. entertaining and i think that's what as you say we we seem to have lost that on television now to have that uniqueness would would a channel showing permanent silent movies classic silent movies mm. would that work it would find an audience but it wouldn't be a huge enough audience to be, sustain no, it no, no. no. and that's a shame and also i think sometimes the problem is that the nature of television is has to cut to commercial breaks and and it can actually break the flow and shatter the illusion sometimes you know, and, that, and that's a bit of a shame i do quite like watching them start to finish you know as a, a, an old hitchcock classic on bbc2 you know the lady vanishes or whatever or just that, or that, like that. the hour and a half bang straight through is just yeah it's a great way to watch films so do you think you would have become the film fan you are without having seen them on television as, as a youngster you think being no. exposed to them i think yeah. yeah at such a young age being exposed to so much choice well which we thought at the time was so much choice because mm. there were so many films being shown mm. on tv mm. i think nearly every you could go you mm. could go to channel man every two days there'd be a film mm. there'd, be, there'd, there'd be the wednesday night film mm. BBC and then ITV mm. would be doing something on a Saturday mm. evening or then you have BBC Two mm. with its niche films and mm. we loved the niche films as we said earlier mm. and I think that was the thing we could mm. we had a routine mm. and I think that was a wonderful thing that drew mm. us into it and opened up our vision on mm. vision on the widescreen in the small mm. screen do you think Will Hay was your greatest discovery through watching films? Yeah, on I do actually. I think mm. Will Hay, I would never have discovered Will Hill films if it hadn't been for BBC Two. And it's brought you so much joy. Oh, it still brings me joy now. Still brings Fabulous. Me joy now. Well, thank you very much for your time today, no, Warren. That you, has man. been an absolute lovely trawl through our memories of just <laughs> watching the old films. I'm not sure quite how telly based that was, but well, I'm sure it's fine. You take care, man. And you. Thanks very much. Many thanks to Warren Cummings for taking us on a swift tour through the classic movies that he discovered through television, and we hope that he'll be bringing us more of the cinematic sausage soon. 
So that's another edition of Vision on Sound done for this week, and I hope you all enjoyed it. As always, I just need to thank everyone at Fab Radio International for processing the negatives and keeping the hair out of the gate, and my thanks go out also to each and every one of you for listening. As ever, I have been Martin, and this has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now, and take care.